0: Hi, this is Morgan Michael welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness. I believe that we all have an innate need to be seen, heard, and understood. When we dedicate ourselves to kindness, the ripple effects in our schools can be life-changing. Through this podcast, I want to challenge you to question your assumptions. Amplify your insight and embrace a willingness to go beyond the status quo in education. Together, let's learn how to make a big impact one small act at a time. Who says you can't teach inquiry in kindergarten? This episode will have you checking your assumptions at the door Many teachers not only believe that using inquiry-based, student-centered learning is only for the intermediate grades, but that it's impossible in kindergarten. My superstar guest provides step-by-step strategies, highlights her favorite technological apps, and explains key lessons to explore inquiry within your classroom. Whether you want to simply dip your toe into it or do a deep dive with your class, get ready to be inspired. Rebecca is a kindergarten teacher in the Greater Victoria School District on beautiful Vancouver Island, BC, Canada. She currently teaches French Immersion at George J. Elementary School. She is passionate about incorporating inquiry practices with her learners. Rebecca also strives to teach using BC's First Peoples Principles of Learning technology, and Reggio Emilia-style practices. Rebecca is the co-author of Inquiry Mindset with Trevor McKenzie, published in 2018. For more information, visit her website, Rebecca Bathurst Hunt, or find her on Twitter, at rbathurst on Twitter and at teacher on Instagram, or visit my website, smallactbigimpact.com and search for episode 32. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21 Day Kindness Challenge and Movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today, Rebecca Bathurst-Hunt, and it's so great to have you for this really important conversation about kindness and inquiry learning. Thank you so
1: much for having me, Morgan. I'm really excited to be here.
0: So when the new British Columbian educational curriculum rolled out, there were a lot of elementary and middle school teachers who were completely fearful of and really kind of nervous about how difficult it would be to navigate the world of these big ideas and competencies and learning standards. And I know even on some level, I resisted the idea of a more project-based or inquiry-based learning style, initially because it had me sort of believing that our students would lose the quality instruction of the part to whole model and that it was too messy and that our students would become less competitive when it came to university applications. And then most importantly, I think I was fearful that this big picture learning was impossible in the primary years, which is what I really was rooted in, um, in terms of my experience in K to two. So that was then, and this is now. And I think i really changed my tune with the advent of numerous visionaries and early adopters like you who have created Mm -hmm. such a strong and effective example of what inquiry-based learning can look like. And, you know, through your book, Inquiry Mindset, it really gave me a sense of how, like a roadmap for how this really works and how it actually fulfills, you know, this sense of honoring the individual student through their learning process. So that being said, I know a great number of teachers who still are very reticent to embrace inquiry-based learning. So I guess I'd like you to maybe first start by maybe talking a little bit about what you believe inquiry-based learning to be and then how you would approach inquiry-based learning in the primary and elementary years. So what are some sort of actionable tips and approaches you could take to reach students where they're at? I know that's a big question, but maybe you can start it off.
1: Yeah, thank you. I think you definitely brought up some realistic points and a lot of thoughts that went through, I think, most educators' mind with the shift in the new curriculum, the revised curriculum in the past five years or so. Um, I think for me, inquiry-based learning is really allowing and empowering our learners to find their voice, to honor their passion and their choices, and to bring those to life in the classroom. And with the revised curriculum in British Columbia. Have- Having those big ideas really allows us to have the time and the space and just like the energy to honor those passions and choices and voices. Um, Inquiry-based learning in the primary years, I think, can be rolled out similarly to how it's rolled out with our older learners. Just having a little bit more focus on that structured type of inquiry is important Mm -hmm. when we're really kind of fostering and beginning um, to empower those research and learning and academic, if you will, skills mm-hmm. um, in the early years. I find that starting with questions is a wonderful way to get going. So if you're kind of a new teacher or if you're new to inquiry or you're wanting to dabble a little bit, um, questions is a great way to kind of spark. Uh, those interests and and their passions in the primary years, and even what is a question, where does a question come from, what are different types of questions, is a great place to start. I really like to structure my year using the types of inquiry. So if you are familiar with Trevor McKenzie and um, his first book, Dive into Inquiry. There's a really powerful sketch note that I sketched with him, um, and it has the four types of inquiry. So it's got structured all the way going across the swimming pool to the deep end. So we start in the shallow end with structured, and we go all the way to the deep end with free inquiry. Mm-hmm. And so for those teachers who are kind of just starting out or even at the beginning of the year, I personally teach kindergarten. So structured inquiry is that shallow end of the pool where the teacher is really guiding the learners all together in one kind of inquiry. So that's where the the idea of questions can come into play and kind of dabbling a little bit in like, what is inquiry? How are we learning together? And really...
0: Martina, if you're in the school, could you please come to the office? Martina?
1: So really dabbling and having those learners kind of take part in an inquiry all together is a great place to start. Kindergarten is so important that our learners and and their interests and their passions are honoured. But at the same time, in those primary years, we're really fostering and developing those beginner literacy and numeracy and social skills. And so I find going through the different types of inquiry is extremely powerful and helpful. I love that. Yeah, Yeah.
0: that's so important. And I I love that you talked a little bit about how to approach it from the beginning, because that was another question I had is, you know, it's September and you want to kick off inquiry, but you don't want to dive right into that deep end of the pool. How do we prepare those students for the inquiry process, you know, early on in the year? And so I love that approach is that you can dip your toes in too and you can just start with the questions and really allow their questions to guide you. Is that, is that kind of correct?
1: That's totally it. Yeah, allowing their questions and even just what is a question and having those questions guide you and that can be structured, right? That yes. can still be, you're all inquiring say about birds and birds nests and you're all following that together and perhaps you're following a few different questions and you're researching as a group using nonfiction texts or a video that you found and those are kind of informing and kind of um, guiding their process but yeah you're all working together and I find that as my year progresses as a kindergarten teacher when we're ready we shift into controlled so that and when I shift into controlled I'm kind of giving them a little bit more responsibility right I'm letting letting the reins loosen a little bit and That there might be a little bit more choice in how they're learning or in what questions they're answering. And as my year progresses even further, I'm moving into that guided. Mm -hmm. So, more choice in voice, more choice on what resources or how they're showing their learning and their research. And if all goes well, sometimes we get to free inquiry, and sometimes in kindergarten, we might not. And it's not always a goal. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're checking boxes and having to get to free inquiry. The goal is really that. Our learners are loving what they're doing. They're being able to follow what they're interested in. Their voice is heard, their questions are honored. And really, they're learning that they can answer their own questions and that they can follow something that's important to them, research, show what they know, and continue that cycle. Like, where does it take them next?
0: I love it. And I think these days that educators are can really agree that it's important to focus on this process versus the product. And bringing that philosophy into our practice can sometimes be a little bit challenging. So why is it important to dedicate time and space to demonstrating this process? of learning and what are some of your favorite strategies to help students share their learning process I know I'd love to and I know like I'm kind of biased because I've really I've really looked at your stuff I'd really love to learn a little bit more about you know your curiosity jar and the wonder wall and your wonder repositories but maybe you can speak to some of your favorite ways to explore their wonderings.
1: Yeah, I think probably my favorite is my wonder wall. So I'm just sitting in my classroom right now looking at it and it takes up almost a whole wall in our classroom. It's two big whiteboards. And what I've done is I've blown up eleven by seventeen colored pictures of each child, and they're they kind of have this curious wonder filled mm-hmm. face um, as they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And then next to it I laminated eleven by seventeen bubbles like thought bubbles with their name so it's it's one of my favorite ways to kind of show how the inquiry process develops and how their questions are really guiding our learning so it's kindergarten and they're up kind of high so I usually scribe for them what they're curious about or what their wonder is or say we perhaps go on some kind of provocation experience so we go to the garden we might come back and they might do a little journal in their wonder journals and share what they saw Um, and what they're interested in and then we might put up on the wall what they're curious about and really I allow their questions to guide where we're going next and sometimes I even as we're going through like if we've answered one of their questions we might put a star just so we know like and it kind of helps shape our journey as we move together that's one of my probably favorites and another one that kind of goes with that is I love using Padlet Mm. so it's an online platform so you can either use it on your Computer, or you can also use it on a tablet or an iPad. And what it allows me to do, it's kind of like a virtual wonder wall. So it's almost, if you will, like a KWL chart. Mm -hmm. And the way I use it is like the I see, I notice, or I think, and then I wonder. So three columns. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. So putting up the children's name with a little comment, a little blurb. um, And then it's a digital kind of artifact. So what I like about that is it's up on the we have a screen like a projector in our classroom Um, and it's not taking up a ton of space so that can kind of go in partnership with the wonder wall that takes up space i also like it because i can send it home Mm. on their portfolios or email it or pull it up the next day and we can continue to add to it or look back and reflect so both of those are probably my two biggest go-tos of kind of ways to bring in questions into kindergarten and i also i teach french immersion so finding ways to build in oral language with combined with questions that's at their level can be tricky. Yeah. So I find like that, what do you see? What do you think? Or what do you notice? And and then what do you wonder sometimes can be tricky in French, but the I see is probably Probably my biggest go-to, especially at the beginning of the year, because it's building language and it's at their level. Like a lot of them can say, je vois, I see. And then even if that final word of the thing they notice is in English, it's still fostering that. Everyone's answer is welcome and we're building that French in at the same time. And in English, for a lot of our our English language learners, that's such an important part as well.
0: Yes, developing that language, and as you know, for nearly ten years, I I was a French immersion teacher in primary, mostly K to two, and it's fascinating to see how you integrate the French language learning within this inquiry process because you really maintain the integrity of both approaches, which I honestly I sometimes struggled with this sort of this this fear that I wasn't doing enough French or you know I wasn't doing enough deep dive into you know the things that really inspire them so can you speak to creating balance between that encouraging of curiosity and that self-expression within that French immersion classroom while upholding the standards of French immersion language development what's your philosophy around that
1: yeah, I think I struggled with that balance as well, because it's such a big part of our curriculum and I think our everyday world and, and it's such an important piece, um, this honoring their interest and their passion and their voices. And I think that in a French immersion classroom, that can sometimes be a little bit lost Um I really work on developing oral language in French. We use a program called AIM. We're really working on bringing as much French as I can into the classroom. But at the same time, I'm continually honoring their voices and honoring their questions. And we know as French immersion teachers that those questions are not always coming in French, especially in the beginning of the year, especially in kindergarten. So I'm continually juggling that. My philosophy deep down is that both should be honored um, and finding ways to maybe oh well, that was your question in English what words in that question do we know in French and so up on my wonder wall it's it's what they've said right so it's word for word so even I'm looking at them now and there are a few English words in there but I think the the important part is there's more French words. So they're trying, like we've, we've come a really far way. Um, they're excited. And they're, and at the same time, as they're learning another language, it's still important that we're, we're meeting these big ideas in our curriculum and we're sparking that curiosity. And we are empowering learners who are passionate and not feeling that they can't say something because they don't necessarily know how to say it in French. You know, I hope that makes sense. And it absolutely no means, does. Yes, yeah, yes. By no means am I saying, uh, don't speak all French or don't speak all English. Like, I think, I think we're all trying to kind of find that balance piece and supporting each other and doing that. And, and knowing that at the end of the day, we're all doing our best and our kids are, our kids are thriving is important too.
0: I think so too. And I think you really did say that really eloquently because I think you're right. I think there's different approaches and they're, they're all great. And I think that speaks to the fact that teachers are individuals within this as well. And so there's different passions that we bring forth that enable our students to see themselves the way that we see them. And so
1: exactly you do
0: that yeah. in the way that you do and others may choose to do it in other ways. And I, I completely get that you're not saying there's only one way to do this, but I, I've always, been sort of curious about that piece and -hmm. and struggled with it. And I think it's an important conversation because I think it's really important, especially with the advent of this revised curriculum, that we address that and that we honor the fact that sometimes that learning may not come out authentically in the desired language, which is French, of course, but that through different ways that we can kind of reframe it in such a way that they still get the language development and they still there's still a great benefit to that. So I, I really appreciate you touching on that. I yeah, do thank you. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about some of the positive stories about inquiry that stand out for you. So, you know, there are many different types of students that we, that we teach in our programs. And of course, some of them include some high-risk students from a variety of different demographics. Um, are there any ways that inquiry has touched some of your at-risk learners in a way that maybe traditional schooling or traditional approaches of stand and deliver type models might not have been able to do?
1: I think definitely. I think inquiry kind of creates this culture where everyone feels included, supported, and listened to. Mm. And I think a lot of learners who potentially maybe would have had some challenges in a traditional classroom have thrived um, in an inquiry-based classroom because even if they're maybe more at risk um, with their home life, or they've got different types of uh, mental health things that they're dealing with and some challenges in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, once they begin to see that their their interests are listened to and their ideas are thrown up on the wall and, oh, we're going to follow that today, uh, there's like this light that kind of ignites in them mm-hmm. and they kind of get this sparkle in their eye. And I know that sounds a little bit... Um, like fluffy, but I, I really do think it's true. And the ones that potentially may may have had some challenges, or even near the beginning of the year, really struggled. Um, I find that they do feel really successful and really proud of their work and when when they're their choice they've had like choice in how they're showing their learning and they've worked really hard on designing say an exhibit for a museum and then their family shows up and maybe even that's a little bit like out of the norm for them to have Mm -hmm. that kind of ownership over something in their family and have family to come and take part in that it's a it's a really special process so some of some of those kind of, yeah, it's not it's not the end product, but sometimes the end product is a really special way of sharing and learning. And I've done some really neat events where families have kind of been included and welcome and invited. And to see kids that... You wouldn't think would be running back to school at say 6 p.m. on a Thursday night or like running in and throwing off changing their shoes and getting to their spot to show to not only their family but to a lot of other families in another language when they're five I think is really incredible and, and inspiring even for me so I
0: would yeah. I would agree a hundred percent and I think that's what this is all about is sort of like you said it's igniting that passion it's it's allowing them to see themselves as learners and and having that agency over their own learning and feeling feeling like they have that power which i think is so difficult for kids who feel like maybe they don't or they feel a bit disenfranchised for whatever reason whether it's an institutionalized sort of cultural reason or if it's just the way that they feel, you know, maybe they've had some challenges and so day after day many of their interactions have been negative and they sort of internalize that. So I think being able to mm-hmm. kind of step outside of that narrative for them and enabling them to see things from a fresh set of eyes is so empowering and so wonderful. And I guess on some level there's so many different ways I'd love to kind of go with this, but I would like to touch a little bit on the model of inclusion. So and and how inquiry can really support the inclusion model in our schools. So currently our district is really pushing for um, a more well-rounded sort of sense of inclusion where students are not sort of segregated based on their needs, that we're all sort of working together, that there's more of a team approach. Can you speak to that a little bit, how inquiry can kind of support the inclusion model, but also even for some of those students who need more support, how do we provide that support in a more personalized approach to education?
1: Yeah, I think I, I love um, pushing towards more having everyone in the classroom. And I think that's kind of what you're speaking to here instead of like more in, in silos around the school. Um, yeah. And I know that that's something we're really working towards at our school as well. And I think that inquiry, it, it kind of meets students where they're at, at right? So it's allowing it's allowing them to kind of foster those beginner research skills especially in their primary years it's allowing them to follow their interests so whether whether they're whether everyone in the classroom in that kind of structured inquiry is working together at the beginning of the year but as we get going and as skills start to develop and as i'm releasing that responsibility gradually over the year it, it allows for a lot of kind of individual individualized focus or perhaps small group focused and for me um, having kids answering questions that they're interested in or researching about a topic that really really kind of gets them going is that hook Mm -hmm. and sometimes sometimes those are the kids uh, sometimes our most challenging kids that perhaps do need a little bit more support once they're hooked in they're superstars they blow you away right Mm -hmm. they kind of they take you by surprise and they and they do show you more than you perhaps could have imagined that they would. And I think also those small group times allow, do allow for kind of more individualized support, or perhaps one of the small groups is paired with an adult in the room. And that adult's really kind of modeling for the group, but mainly, perhaps it's mainly for one or two children. But I mean, what kids couldn't benefit from a little extra modeling is modeling those research skills. So has the nonfiction text, and they're going through and they're modeling what it looks like to be curious. And they're modeling, perhaps reading a passage and supporting kids in writing. And then to me, that's, that's beautiful. Like you've got kids who are working in groups who are perhaps a little bit more independent. The teacher's rotating through the teach or the teacher's working with that more vulnerable group and someone else is rotating around. Mm-hmm. It really allows the design to be more flexible
0: mm-hmm.
1: and for the environment to just kind of support in the ways that we need um, those learners to feel supported. and I hope that makes sense.
0: It really does. And so, I guess as a jump off, I mean, there's I'd like to t- to speak to the environment of the classroom and the culture a little bit, but I'd like to start um, to start first with sort of the importance of developing the growth mindset and maybe some of the ways that we can enable students to reframe this concept of failure or, you know, taking risks in such a way that, you know, when they're when they're being asked to be creative or innovative, that that can be very difficult. So acknowledging that it's difficult, and acknowledging that the end result is not the goal. So that piece. And then afterwards, maybe we can talk a little bit more about the physical environment because I think that's a very, very important piece as well. So perhaps you can mm-hmm. speak to that, you know, the importance of establishing and supporting the growth mindset.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of the growth mindset. Like I can't do this yet. And I think in primary, you kind of have this balance of those Look we'll get our kids that come in who have perhaps a lot of prior experience and have a lot of that prior knowledge that we can tap into. And then you do have those ones that are maybe a little bit more reluctant to participate or don't have as much experience and haven't experienced those things. And so you do have this kind of like push and pull, if you will, of those who feel that they can fail and they can try and they can get back up, back, get back up again because it's been supported and it's been modeled in their home, and then you have others that need a little extra with that. And my biggest thing is modeling that and being kind of an example of what it is to have a growth mindset or an inquiry mindset, or what it looks like to make a mistake conversation. So in our classroom, we do a lot of sharing circles and those kind of activities to allow reflections to become vocalized, whether it's as a whole group or in partners or one-on-one and that ongoing conversation of we're all learning and we're all here together. And our biggest thing in our room is what's most important about a person is what's in your heart and that you try your best. And that's kind of celebrated and honored and continually touched on throughout the year and even whether that's like playing side by side and i'm building with kids and something falls even for little like we're rebuilding it and that's okay or if that's to something happen in the classroom and we need to move on and ref- but without reflecting that's really hard so reflecting and then working together to kind of problem solve i think we as teachers it's it's such a powerful role that we have. And that's kind of my biggest way of talking about growth mindset and kind of intertwining that with everything we're doing in the classroom, socially and academically.
0: Absolutely. I think that's really important. Are there any examples of students who you've seen have been able to articulate sort of a difference in their mindset from sort of that more fixed, I can't do it. I, I I'm never good at this, that sort of perspective to that growth mindset. Do any stories stand out for you?
1: Yeah, we do a lot of goal setting in our class around um, some local indigenous animals. So for us, the salmon is all about growth mindset. So we're often talking about how like something's happened and we need we need to be like the salmon and we need to keep trying. So we share reflections all the time. So everything from like I'm still trying on the monkey bars to situations that kids bring in at home about food that they perhaps didn't used to like and then they tried and they were like the salmon and they we use the word persevered and and continue to try and they realized they actually like that food mm. to to research that we're doing in the classroom like I was using this book and I couldn't find it and then so and so like just connecting it to all the different ways of knowing it's pretty special so I think finding ways to connect with your learners in that sense and I found that indigenous animals have so many things that connect to what we're teaching and all the teaching local teaching behind them ties really well with what we're doing in the classroom and and it connects to kids like the idea of animals and the teachings behind them younger kids I find it just it it makes sense to them and they and they lend it they tend to it really well so
0: that's great no I love that um just in that vein before we move on How has being vulnerable in front of your own students sort of um, encouraged them to take risks? Have you ever shared a time when you felt sort of like you didn't have it all figured out in front of your students? And did that sort of open their eyes to their own ability to be vulnerable and admit that maybe something didn't feel easy or that they were sort of working through that learning process themselves?
1: All the time. I'm a big storyteller, I think, in my personal life, but also in teaching especially at the beginning of the year kind of when you're having those long like snack times and you're just getting <laughs> used to being at school yeah I find a lot of stories so I find storytelling is is really powerful but also like when you're up here teaching like it's like we're not not the bearers of knowledge. And I think with our shift in curriculum, that's definitely allowed that we don't know all the answers. And honestly, most of the time as we're doing inquiry, it's something new because it's coming from them. It's not something I've necessarily done before. So I, I am honestly learning alongside with them and I make that, it's part of, I'm very open with that and it's part of our kind of conversation as we go. And I think the kids really understand that, that we're all really learning together and sometimes someone else is the expert. And so modeling, like, I didn't know this either. That's really interesting. Let's have you come and sit up on the chair and it's your turn to share or having parents come in and me even modeling how curious I am and asking questions in that sense. I think, I hope kind of instills that, oh, well, Madame didn't know either. And that's okay. And together we figured it out or... Yes
0: I love that I think that's and I think that vulnerability piece is has come up time and time again in these conversations Mm -hmm. because whether you're an educational leader you know in the form of a principal or whether you're doing that in front of your in front of your class with your kids um, that that piece is so important because it just Mm -hmm. lets down you can just all let down your guard you can take off the armor that that you know, protects your fragile heart and that piece that says somehow you're unworthy or you're you're never going to amount to what, what the expectations are and you can just go, let's just enjoy this learning process for what it is. And when the teacher is able to be vulnerable in that way, I think it just really models that for the students, right? Which is so, so important. Um, oh, really? So I would like to talk a little bit about the, the importance of establishing a positive classroom culture, but really from the, the standpoint of the classroom design. So you've talked about, about the importance of this. And of course, in the book, you touch a little bit on this, or quite a bit on the cave and the watering hole and the campfire and, and this concept of life and sharing out. So can you talk a little bit to the physical environment and then also that classroom design?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so environment for me is huge, whether it's at school or in my home life. Um, I think the importance of having an environment where our learners feel welcome and where their curiosities can be sparked and where there's different areas around the room is crucial. Um, I think that as teachers, sometimes creating an environment that perhaps is um, picture perfect or I've heard like lately like Pinterest worthy or Instagram mm-hmm. worthy it can it can be like a little heavy and and challenging and as much as we all love beautiful things it it can be a burden uh, financially so mm-hmm. I think finding ways to do that that makes your heart happy but also makes your wallet perhaps happy and but also <laughs> makes your learners feel feel safe and included and welcome is really important and for me it's a lot of kind of natural colors and um, things that can kind of be tinkered with and open-ended play materials that can can be made into anything or can be part of what we're learning about and it's really not tied down to specific things it also looks like a very open space so I have a lot of room for group work small and big and a lot of spaces that could be individual, so that's kind of when you're talking about the cave, so having that individual space, and maybe that's kids that need a little bit more space, or perhaps are needing a break, or perhaps are working individually on a clipboard and researching on their own Um or then we have ideas like the campfire where we're coming together and we have a big carpet space and we're sharing. And just as you can imagine at a campfire where stories are being passed back and forth and reflections are being shared and we're learning together. Um, so having, having space, which is sometimes also a challenge Mm -hmm. in a classroom and in any kind of school setting but but trying to create your space that's that's open but also flexible so if that makes sense and really having like I've got two giant pods of tables so big like nine kids could sit at each pod Mm -hmm. but I also have other tables where four kids can sit or two or one or I have an enclosed tent to really kind of bring that cave idea and where if someone needs or two kids need that little space to kind of go and collaborate or work on their own, there is room for that around my room.
0: I think that's wonderful. And I think it's really interesting to hear different ways that people are integrating alternative or creative, creative solutions for using space and tabletops and maybe coming away from the more traditional desks in rows, perspective as, as kind of the only way to do it and looking at some of the other ways that we can collaborate or, or foster collaboration and really authentic conversations between students and, and learning. So I, I love that. Um, I know that you integrate, pretty much the latest and greatest in terms of technology within your kindergarten classroom. And mm-hmm. I follow your Instagram and your blog posts. I just love them. I find them so inspiring on so many levels. Oh, and thank you. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. And definitely we'll be putting putting all of that information in the show notes and then in the bio as well. But can you share some of your very favorite ways that maybe your favorite tech programs and apps that lend themselves to inquiry within the elementary classroom and maybe just a brief rundown on how to use them I know that you touched on Padlet but there Mm -hmm. there are so many and so maybe your favorites
1: (laughs) yeah there are so many I think for me the importance when I'm using technology is that it it's capturing voice it's taking our learning further than it would without the technology and it's not a replacement so those are my big things that I've really kind of grounded myself in over the past I don't know for four years that I've kind of been trying to tinker a little bit with technology and so really I'm looking for ways to capture voice take learning further and deeper and I'm remembering that a lot of important uh, skills develop without technology as well, and face-to-face and being outside and learning how to write with a pencil are very important um, pieces as well. So for me, a couple of my favorites right now, one is Adobe Spark. So it's it's an iOS app, so you'd be using it on the iPad. However, I think recently you can use it on Chromebooks and on your web browser as well. And what it really does is it allows learners to kind of take an idea or share about a topic in a easy way so it gives you a slide you can add in a picture of your work a video but it also has the option to search in the app so it's a safe search okay. for icons or photos related to your topic so say you're doing know, elephants they could type in or you could help them type in elephants and different pictures would come up which to me is a lot better than putting
0: elephants in oh, on Google, yeah. oh, if that yeah. makes sense. Oh, it does. Yep. <laughs> and then there's, uh, so
1: you can type, you can add text, you can add photos, but you can also hold a record button, which is very user-friendly, especially for our younger learners. And they can give a fact or introduce an idea or share a story. And then you just let go, go to the next slide. do the same thing and then they can add music and it kind of just creates this beautiful presentation and I know that sounds really easy because once you get going and you've kind of played with it it is actually easy and it creates like a professional looking little project so that's one idea and I usually like to introduce it and in kind of scaffolded as we perhaps do a few as a class. So maybe we've gone on some kind of provocation. We went to Goldstream and we came back and we've looked at pictures and they've drawn a journal of what they saw or what they noticed. And then they're sharing that idea. And then once they get comfortable with it, that's when I'm kind of scaffolding it. Some groups love projects like that and others don't take to that as well. Right. So then Mm -hmm. you're meeting your learners where you're at. And that's when I'm kind of handing over that ownership and letting them kind of Tinker and try out some things on their own. That's probably one of my biggest go-tos to kind of share. Another one that I just started using this year is called Clips. Mm. And again, they're, these are both free. They're both like tablet or um, iPad kind of apps. And it's another great little like video making. So I often with inquiry, we do a lot of creating kind of artifacts to show what we've learned. So whether it's kind of those makerspace model projects or, you know, the cardboard constructed animals or things like that. But then tying in and like, what could you share about this or how did you make it? Tell me about your process. Um, And clips is a little quick way. You just again, it's like holding a button they can talk over a picture or over a movie they can add in little um, words which is great for beginner writing practice and that oral language piece whether it's in English or French mm-hmm. um, depending on what you're teaching in is, is really important so those are two of my favorites right now and I guess my third would be fresh grade and as a district um, it's a platform that we're using for digital or portfolios and I mean you uh, I don't work for FreshGrade, so it could be any kind of digital portfolio that connects our families to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a huge part of our learning and our role as teachers is how can we connect our families to our learning and especially to our inquiry, because once families start to understand the process, they want to be naturally, they want to be involved and it's like 20 families worth of experience and talents and passions and things that they can bring in. So it really kind of fosters that connection between home and school. And I found that once parents know what's going on, you start getting the comments and, and parents asking to come in and share about because I have a connection to this. So those are my three. So fresh grade. Or any probably digital portfolio app, uh, Clips and Adobe Spark are some of my favorites right now.
0: Thank you for that. Thanks so much for going through those because I think it's it's it can be overwhelming for people who are somewhat new to technology or mm-hmm. maybe have a general sense of the apps that they might use, but sort of are fearful of kind of delving in with their own classrooms. And so, totally. so I really appreciate that. And I, you know, what I love about the the internet por- portfolios is that it also honors. The fact that families are incredibly busy and it is not always easy to be able to pop into the classroom to see the learning. And it's not really Mm -hmm. the same model as it was 20 years ago where one of the parents may have been coming to pick the kids up. I mean, these are really busy, busy families. And so what that provides is insight into what's actually happening in the classroom and they can choose when they, they look at it. And I think that's a really big piece. So thanks for sharing that. Um, mm-hmm. I would like to talk a little bit about the importance of blogging because, as you know, I blog and, and I love <laughs> your blog. I love your social media. I Like I said, I always feel so inspired by the examples and lessons that you share and, you know, like little features like your one day your Wonder Wednesday feature. And I guess… I love the opportunity that blogging provides me to reflect on my practice on, I mean, for me, it's, it also encompasses my role as a mother. And I think it's sort of within a certain set of boundaries allows me to present myself in a more vulnerable way to the world. And I really value that. I think it's an important thing because again, back to that modeling, if we can sort of say, here we are within the, again, the realm of certain boundaries, um, It allows people to do the same and to sort of drop their shoulders. So can you speak to the importance of blogging as a teacher, um, maybe even where people can find you, what draws you to blogging and how you see it as an important piece of the reflection puzzle for an educator?
1: Yeah, I think he summed it up so well there. I think it's such an important piece for me, is that reflection piece. So whether it's thinking about it on the way home and reflecting and revising and going, where am I going next? And blogging is a great outlet for that. And I also think like we are all doing such incredible things in our classroom, but for most of the day, our door is either like half closed or it's opening and closing every two minutes. And we don't really know what's going on in each other's classroom. And, and I find m- some of the most powerful Pro-D and professional learning opportunities that I've had is honestly through watching, um, teachers, Instagram stories or Mm. connecting and finding something great on someone's blog. And then just like getting down this rabbit hole on their blog, because you want to go through all their posts and bookmarking it or subscribing and following. Um, and I'm so appreciative of that that and I'm so thankful for photos and images of what other people are doing and I feel really inspired by that so I guess that really drives me and want and makes me want to share because I hope that even if I can inspire one person with a blog post then I know that first of all it helped me reflect It, it it always kind of clears my mind and allows me to look forward and and yeah it's hopefully kind of Hooked someone in and has got them thinking about something that perhaps is important to them or something that they're wanting to do. I think supporting each other as educators is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as I love things like teachers pay teachers and all all of those great resources, I think at the end of the day, if we can support each other by even just looking at each other's blog posts and in a free. <laughs> ways that don't cost us money Mm -hmm. is amazing too. And don't get me wrong. Like I love, I love all those things. Um, I love attending workshops. I love going to different things like that. But if, if we all posted even like one picture a week or shared something once a month or once a term, I think that that powerful kind of dialogue would be created about what's going on in your room. And it kind of creates this window into what you're doing.
0: It and does. Yes, I totally agree. And I think on some level, too, there's this um, just this ability to to sort of have these spin-off projects as a result of that inspiration, whether or not you follow exactly to a T what that teacher did or you go, mm-hmm. oh, that's such a great I never thought of it that way or whatever it is. It's just it can be really inspiring. So I definitely feel like that about your your blog and your platform. So I appreciate you. Well, for, thank you. I appreciate you sharing it. I think it's a gift to to everybody. So thank you. Um thank you. I would like to before we delve into our rapid fire questions, I'd like to okay. <laughs> since this is this is really a podcast focused around kindness and sort of a service based approach to in- inquiry, which is really what I'm what I'm excited to dig into with my students as well is sort of this question of how are we able to to help one another? How are we able to really see one another and through that empathy and compassion that we develop, how can we demonstrate our kindness for one another, you know, and there's so many different ways to do that. So I'd love to dig into some of the, maybe some of the service-based projects that inquiry type learning has enabled your students to pursue either for themselves or, or one another or even the community at large. Has that been sort of a focus for you?
1: Yeah, we definitely it definitely has come up, and we've definitely focused on different ways we can help our community. We talked a lot last year. There was a lot of interest in what was going on when there was in Victoria the
0: tents um, mm-hmm. that was
1: happening, and why there was a lot of questions around why um
0: the homeless. People, just to yeah, clarify, that so, no, yeah. that's okay. No, that just because this this is a broad audience, so just the 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 idea of people who who are homeless and how to support them um and and some of the big questions that come up around homelessness right
1: mhm yeah, yeah there were a lot of questions about well why are people we had a lot of people living in tents in victoria last year and why is that happening and why don't they have homes and well why do we have homes so a lot of questions around that and we did quite a bit of quite a bit of looking into what different ways of living looks like and i think that that's really important, and when those questions come up, creating a safe space for them to feel that it's okay to ask questions like that, and it's not coming a place coming from a place of um, negative or being rude or. Just It's just coming from a place of wondering.
0: Yes. And that's
1: when the inquiry classroom, it's like, okay, well, let's look into this. And then it kind of created this journey of, well, what can we do to help? And we worked on making a video of ideas, and we worked on different things that we could do for to support our local community. And then even this year, we've done a lot of learning about our environment, and especially with bees, and for British Columbia, that's something that's kind of coming along is with honeybees and how can we support bees and bumblebees and mason bees and how how in our world right now, bees are so important. And mm-hmm. my kids, we read an awesome book. And at the end of the book, it's um, the author writes a letter to the kids mm-hmm. and kind of prompting them like, here are some ways you can help bees. What are you going to do? So even that kind of environmental story, um, stewardship has come a lot and helping our community and teaching others that responsibility of well, why are people scared of bees and what does that mean? And how can we help them to know and what can we do? And how can we learn more about pollinators and what they do for our world? So things like that's two kind of different examples, but no that's great. Touch on the importance of fostering that empathy. And I think so it's that's perhaps empathy for animals and our environment and then empathy for people and people who live just down the road from us, right?
0: Yes, a hundred percent. And I think also there's this piece of really challenging the assumptions that we 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 have about even, you know, whether it's homelessness, whether it's spiders, whether it's mm-hmm. honeybees, because I think kids sometimes come and adults certainly do come with a sort of entrenched idea of what something is and so when we can really create an environment that encourages the questioning then they're more Mm -hmm. willing to do that and it's not we're not coming from a place of really knowing the right answer and having a very clear sense of where we stand it's more it's more fluid and so I think that's so wonderful and I know people will be very curious about the book that you read so can you do you remember the title of it
1: it is called The Honey Bee. It's actually up, I did a Wonder Wednesday yes. post about it. So if, you, if you're if you interested in kind of following along and you visit rebeccabathershunt.com, there is a link to my blog in there. So it's called The Honey Bee and I'm just going to see who it's by. It's Kristen or Kirsten,
0: sorry. Sorry to put it's, you on the spot no, like that. Called,
1: <laughs> no, don't be sorry. It's called The Honey Bee and it's by Kirsten. I hope I'm saying it, right Kirsten Hall Perfect. it's a beautiful book yeah That's I definitely great. recommend it and that mm-hmm.
0: blog post is awesome there's so many wonderful ideas and ways that you could sort of go with it in your lessons so I think it's uh it's a great one for sure before yeah, we thanks. do move on to that rapid fire portion of the interview is there anything that you would like to touch on that we haven't had a chance to really talk about yet
1: I think just the importance of really as kind of that inquiry teacher and having that growth mindset of just trying to look at your practice. And this is something I continually do, like almost every day. I try to look at my practice and think like, what could I do to make it a little bit more powerful, a little bit more meaningful and to create change a little bit more for my learners? What, what's something small that I can tweak? And I think Sometimes when we're talking about new things, so say if inquiry is new for you or some kind of math kind of way of teaching is new, as teachers, we feel, we can feel, it can feel overwhelming Mm -hmm. and that that's really normal and having that dialogue and support with your colleagues is so important, but just tweaking one little thing, even if we tweaked one little thing, a term and kind of watching that and teaching slow. Right, so we're we're tweaking something. We're reflecting on how it's going. That's kind of my biggest piece that I'm that I'm working on right now. So hopefully, by saying that, it it kind of inspires someone or makes them feel like, yeah, I am doing, I am doing a lot. And at the end of the day, I think we all work really hard, and and patting ourselves on the back and lifting each other up is is really important.
0: I think that's such an important thing to touch on as well, and it sort of works into that mindfulness concept as well, and that idea that we are enough and that we don't have to do it all in order to be successful at this approach to learning we can dip our toe in it's it's okay to not have to completely overhaul your mm-hmm. entire program because like you said I think that can be very overwhelming and yeah. it can just make you want to go nope not doing yeah. it so <laughs> <laughs> exactly and I think that's what a lot of people are well maybe not a lot hopefully not a lot yeah. but I think some people are coming up against that feeling that you either do it a hundred percent or not at all. And you're really dispelling that and saying, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. You can just, you can just try an element of it out and see how it fits. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's a Mm -hmm. really important point. So could you define what kindness means to you? I think
1: kindness. Kindness is really down to empathy and having empathy towards others and noticing how others are feeling and also how yourself is feeling. Like I've done a lot of learning about myself over this past year with finishing my master's and being kind to yourself, having empathy, understanding what's going on is, is probably my definition right now. Mm-hmm.
0: What book or books have you gifted most often to people?
1: Ooh, good question. Hmm. I'm loving, this is one of my favorites right now. It's sitting on my table. It's My Heart Fills with Happiness by Monique Gray Smith. And it's it's a board book. So I've gifted it a few different baby showers, but also for birthdays for little kids and a couple of teacher friends Do I love it. Oh, great. Thank
0: you. What one skill or superpower does a teacher need to lead with in order to be effective?
1: Well, I think... To empathy and that kindness piece, but also being curious and modeling that curiosity because it leads to growth mindset, inquiry mindset, further learning, everything.
0: Yes, I totally agree. I think it's important. What about for a principal? What skill or superpower does a principal need to lead with in order to be effective?
1: I think relationships and maybe that's not a skill, but there's a lot that goes into having really the importance of being vulnerable and creating trust and creating those relationships. But, and that I guess would tie back to empathy and understanding people, but that, that power of relationships.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And finally, what message or quote would you print on one of those quote cups that are sold in big bookstores that would be read by millions? Stay curious. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. I really just loved every moment of it and learned a lot. And I know that other people will feel the same way, especially, especially those primary teachers who have the the mindset that inquiry is not for them because they're in primary. And I just love that you're, you're sort of changing that conversation and you're leading the way in terms of showing us how it can in fact work. And how valuable the results are when you, when you dive in. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It was my (laughs) pleasure. It's been so much fun and I just am blown away by all your work. So I love what you're doing and I'm happy to be part of, part of speaking with you and feel honored to have chatted with you.
0: This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast for links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies, and inquiry based approaches to creating a kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog. For more information now I would love to hear from you what's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation head over to our website smallactbigimpact.com leave a comment on our podcast page or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness can't wait to hear from you